Hello, Tina. Hi, Ioni. Hello, hello, hello to the listeners. We are not doing an intro this week, so we're actually just going to get straight into it. This week, we are talking about girlhood, which is a phrase we have both seen absolutely everywhere over the past, like, I don't know, four to 12 weeks, who can say time is a murky pit of mud. Um, (laughs) So girlhood, if you haven't seen, is like the root of many a TikTok trend and many a meme. I'm sure everyone's seen girl dinner, hot girl walks, girl math. And boy math is the new one this week. Girlhood has also kind of come back into the cultural zeitgeist over the past summer because of the new Olivia Rodrigo album, also the Eras tour, weirdly, which we will get into. Many fashion collections that have just hit the runway at Fashion Weeks. Um, Sandy Liang in New York and Ashley Williams in London, as well as others, which I'm sure I have failed to mention. It basically seems that like everyone on the internet is talking about girlhood, which is interesting. I think the first point that's really interesting to me about this is that it kind of establishes girlhood as like a monolith like as a set of codes or like references or things that we've all experienced collectively what do you think G? Yeah um, I'm not necessarily sure if that's a bad thing though like celebrating shared experience. But I suppose like the question is is it accurate like so the girlhood aesthetic is like bows, ribbons, very stuff that you'd like traditionally relate to the teen experience so like all of Olivia Rodrigo's visuals Petra Collins etc etc which also does feel a bit of feels familiar shall we say like when I was thinking about this this morning um I was actually thinking about the chapter in my book the like Tumblr feminism one and how Tumblr feminism and that like era of the female gaze and stuff was taken to seriously because it was essentially like a load of teenagers cosplaying as teenagers if that makes sense and as girls and as women like really taking tropes of traditional teenagehood like a American school or like whatever scribbled in notebooks whole live through this um movie movie album poster and then like they were doing that as like some sort of drag like trying on femininity as like a performance but then that was taken up by like advertising companies and stuff and defined as like the aesthetic of feminism or social politics which actually just like didn't leave a lot of room for playfulness and I think what we're seeing now with the girlhood trend is basically like that on steroids yeah <laughs> yeah, I think like with the girlhood trend, it's not necessarily so much as personally relatable as relatable to like the lexicon language that we use around girlhood. Um, which is kind of like what you've just said there. Like, there's these tropes of girlhood that maybe we didn't actually have as teenagers. Like, I think when I was a teenage girl, maybe I wasn't so obsessed with bows and ribbons and stuff. And someone's kind of like touched on this in an essay they've just written for the dollhouse, but it's kind of like this return to girl girlhood for women now is probably a reaction to us having our girlhood stripped from us from like a much younger age than like our male counterparts. Like we're all forced to grow up too quickly and kind of eschew those things of femininity that we liked as children. Um, a bit sooner than boys like I know so many men who still love like WWE and like were never shamed into like disliking those things. So I think, like, not necessarily is girlhood reclaiming the actual girlhoods we lived, but maybe, like, the girlhoods that we've lost. 
Yeah, a lot of like, so there's been like think piece after think piece basically about this girlhood trend. And the main sort of criticism that comes is that by embracing this trend of girlhood that we're infantilizing ourselves and that like women are infantilizing themselves. I also think like a key difference, which is interesting between the Tumblr era of it and now is that it's women doing it and not girls. Like it's not girls acting in the now it is nostalgia based which is what you just touched on g like with this um essay we have in the dollhouse about like twilight and like reclaiming nostalgia anyway so there is like a lot of things that are basically saying so a lot of the criticisms of girlhood is basically like yeah it's infantilizing you are like lessening yourself as a woman by calling yourself a girl for example, there is a New York Times, it's, it's like a mini audio essay called To Find Freedom, Gen Z Women Are Looking Back to Girlhood. And it is quite good. Like it starts by saying like, I think there's a huge difference when someone is calling you a girl and when you're calling yourself a girl or your behavior girl, like ultimately the idea that you are out having your girl dinner and you're creating it for yourself is very different than a man in a boardroom saying, girl, sit down, the men are talking here. They're not the same thing. I think that's a really interesting point because it also gets to the root of like something that happens a lot of the on the internet, I think, because basically on the internet, like as I've spoken about before, everything's kind of flattened as like an equal playing field. So you even if something is created with a community in mind, it's received as being for everyone. Does that make sense? Like I know we've had a lot of like criticism for like using the word queer or like using words that are like maybe considered like slurs to the queer community even though they're not but anyway I don't really know where I'm going with this or like for example like terms about fat people and we've been like called out for saying like that's fat phobic like because people aren't considering the context of who it's made by and who it's made for what do you think G? Yeah, no, I agree. It's like that um, TikTok I sent to by that girl talking about what she dubbed, I think, the me complex. And it's when, like, someone will make, like, this girl, her example was this girl made a video being like, oh, this is this bean soup that I make for when I'm on my period and it gives me loads of iron. And if you have all these beans, then, like, they'll be really good for your period because you're having all this iron. And then everyone in the comments was being like, what if I don't like beans? And what if I don't have a period? And it's like, okay can we just use a bit of media literacy and understand that this isn't for you? Like, go watch a different video not about bean soup then. Yeah. And I think that's very much like people are misconstruing what these um, reclamations of girlhood or even just, like, these reclamations of womanhood are about and, like, what they're aimed at. Like, when people are like, oh, well, girl dinner, it, some girls are sharing, like, at their dinner and it's just, like, a fruit, like, one apple, and it's, like, feeding into eating disorder Twitter. And it's like, okay, but that's not like the origin of where it came from. It came from some girl being like, I call this peasant dinner or girl dinner. And it's just mm. me eating bread and cheese and all sorts of like random bits of shite. And then loads of women were like, oh, I always do that. Like when I'm on my own, like I just kind of like snack on different flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is like about people just taking the context away from something. And I think that's often done with things that women are talking about or like that are just women only focused or girl focused. That's true. Like it's ne- it's never about like the football. Not that football's only a boy thing, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> Dragon Olivia. <laughs> yeah. um, but then that kind of um, op-ed gets bad. It's like saying if the feminist movement of the young, whatever wave we're on at this point, is pre- pre- predicted on a bunch of people who are choosing 
the escape of being a girl over the hard labor of being a woman, the constraint around womanhood is not going to change. You have to exist as a woman in the world and push against the boundary that has been defined for you by other people and carve out your own space in the world if we're going to ensure that the boundary is less constraining for our children and grandchildren. Which seems like a really misguided point because surely that is like what a lot of the girlhood trend is. Like I feel like it's a lot of like, oh, being an adult is shit like not to be a millennial adulting is hard about it (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like a lot of it is trying to like carve out a place of like joy or like also as you said like a lot of us had these kind of symbols of femininity taken away from us or we were made so guilty to feel so guilty about liking them that we just choose chose to reject them entirely and live this like hardened idea of what being a woman is which like I feel like we all acutely know anyway yeah I think that my my problem with that conclusion to the essay is that I am both a girl and a woman like I will always be the girl that I was and I will always be the woman that I am now and by like embracing the former doesn't mean that I'm not existing as the latter like I'm not being a fucking adult baby because I'm wearing a bloody bow around my neck do you know what I mean like it's a very different experience like they're two they can simultaneously exist well someone get get, 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 (laughs) but you know what I mean like like, monologue in the room Do you know what I mean? Those are both like I'm, I'm, I'm more complex than just being who I am in the now. Like that's insane. Like mm-hmm. who I am in the now is informed by who I was, and like, and who I was is so integral to who I am now. Like there's no separating <laughs> the two. I am a girl and I am a woman. And I'm I think not like a I was thinking, girl, not a woman. exactly, Brett. And I think that my my issue with all of it is the idea that femininity is associated with being infant infantile mm-hmm. like why is um why isn't masculinity seen the same way and then it kind of like ties back to that thing of when like clothing brands drop like gender-free clothing lines and it's all just masculine clothing like femininity mm-hmm. is just automatically asso- associated with being not the basis of being a person or a grown-up person so then it's like because of that, it's like it's like adornments rather than an actual identity. Exactly. And then to ta- to say, oh, if you embracing femininity is childish, which is what infantilizing means, mm-hmm. that's insane. <laughs> that's awful. Yeah. That's, that's like a, a horrible space to put womanhood in. That's true. And I also think it's so interesting because like a lot of these articles, for example, the one I just mentioned also, Refinery29, Girl Trends Everywhere, What the Hell is Going On? Also, like, Olivia Rodrigo's Guts album isn't about girlhood, it's about what happens next. Also, Days Are We Witnessing the Demise of Teen Girl Culture? Also, Vulture, We're Getting Losers for Making TikToks About Girlhood, etc, etc, etc. They're all kind of making this, like, weird non-comparison, in my opinion, between, like, the feminism of now and the feminism of... 10, 5 to 10 years ago. So Refinery in particular says, in contrast to the inspirational media messaging of the 2010s who runs the world girls, today's girl code, girl code, 
girl-coded cultural landscape seems disinterested in telling us to step up and smash the glass ceiling. Instead, we're stepping back to a simpler, happier time of collecting Sonny's angels and watching Sylvanian family TikToks. This is just like an out-and-out, like, misremembering of history. Like, the whole thing of Tumblr feminism was taking symbols of girlhood and making them, like, a bit uncanny, a bit gross, a bit weird, a bit whatever. Like, do you remember that Lawrence Philomene photo where it was like a... My Little Pony that had, like, gum in her, their hair or something, and there was, like, a brush yeah, yeah, yeah. in it. Like, literally every single thing was like that. Like, one of our first ever editorials for Polyester was Alfie de Bystrom, and she took, like, girly objects and then put hair on them. Like, it's literally the same thing, I'm sorry to say. Like, trying to compare something that is actually happening that hasn't yet been fully commodified, but the cycle of, like the cycle of like genuine interested movement to full commodification is even quicker than it was 10 years ago. So it is kind of happening now, but as in like to compare the worst of 2010s feminism to like the inklings of a aesthetic and cultural mindset now just seems like a really moot comparison to me. Yeah. And it's kind of like just taking the decisions that we do to survive in the capitalist hellscape that is our lives to make ourselves give ourselves little joy, like collecting maybe like fuzzy, bloody, what they call the ones you hate that I have. <laughs> jelly cats. Egg, that? Jelly cats, yeah. I hate like, them. Like to to just put that lens over it being like, well, women buying a bloody jelly cat toy to make themselves like have a laugh on a like a shit Tuesday is them anti- being a sucker for capitalism. It's anti feminist. Like, well, yeah, but we can't <laughs> I can't not exist in capitalism, so I'm gonna buy myself a little nice tree. Um, but again, it's also just like that's de-intellectualizing the ways that girls think about things and like the level to which women like think about their aesthetic choices in relation to their like socio-economic environment. So I actually just saw this this morning, Gina. So sorry, throwing you for a loop here because you haven't read this <laughs> research. Um, so Ryan, um, that adult on TikTok made a like mini essay about Sandy Liang and she didn't label it, but what she is calling the Botox, which was a term coined by someone called Laura Pitcher, I think, in the cut. And it was really interesting because she was basically saying that bows are a way of acknowledging your alignment with certain ideas aesthetically while maintaining some political, social, cultural ambiguity at the same time. So she was talking about like the demise of subculture and how like that doesn't exist in the way it did in the 90s. It's not as overt, but how certain designers or certain like people, I'd argue even like certain publications like us, buy into a certain code of aesthetics because they know it symbolizes a certain set of politics, which I think is true and interesting. And I think that's what this is all missing out on. It's like, oh, the girls are buying silly things because they're like dumb. And it's like, no, we do actually have self-awareness and we do actually have intellect. Yeah. And I also think it's kind of missing that like tongue in cheek aspect of the things that we are doing. Like people saying like, well, girl math is just say, it's just, making bad decisions and then slapping girl on it and that like is making women look dumb when it's like yeah like that's kind of like why the, re- that's the, the reaction <laughs> that's the point like we're just kind of like make our decisions like light-hearted and show that girls can, can be silly and stupid and we all have this like alignment of being silly together that we've obviously learned from our mothers at least mine and um <laughs> i think that the reaction to it that's been going on to it like the last few days like boy math where it's like has four like 
baby mothers but like a one-bedroom flat Mm -hmm. like that kind of being like it's not it wasn't only just about girls like boys also have their own set of like weird decisions yeah make silly decisions like that have weird that don't actually make mathematical sense but we just wanted one on our own and now it's been ruined so I think like another key thing about this trend or like what this trend is symbolizing in wider culture is really well surmised in this Vox essay called Vox and the Repackaging of Womanhood, which says, I've seen this go around on Twitter as well, this like screenshot, but the essay begins by saying, you could make the argument that pathologizing the things women and girls do smells a bit too strongly of gender essentialism. You could say that labeling normal human behavior as girl coded only otherizes women in an already patriarchal world. But I would argue that both misses the point because they're supposed to because these supposed girl trends aren't really trends at all, they're marketing campaigns. A single video goes viral, some people start talking about it, the media picks it up, and suddenly it's used as fodder for the kind of lowest common denominator broadcast news segments where old people marvel about how foreign young people have become. And it's not a coincidence that it's almost always young women they're referring to here, even though the thing they're talking about isn't even really happening on a scale that's by any means newsworthy. The result is a discourse that ends up basically amounting to girls equal wrong and or stupid, even when half the time the original video was made for people who already knew it's kind of stupid or meant to be a joke. Anyway, it goes on and, but then it says, in other words, women on TikTok are thinking like the marketing teams at Simon & Schuster, analysing the data and determining which cute name for an otherwise uninteresting habit or aesthetic has the most likelihood of going viral. What was once the province of marketing teams or journalists or magazine editors to christen cultural trends is now up to the public. And it turns out the public does as much does a much more efficient job at this than the traditional gatekeepers ever could. The internet turned us all into publishers, hoping to cash in on an effable promise of girls yet to become women. People for whom girl dinners and hot girl walks contain a million possibilities, even if we know they all end up insufferable. I actually really agree with this, but I think you don't. Yeah, I think that's kind of putting this onus on expecting women interacting with the internet to only have this wish to go viral, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Mm, but I think it is. <laughs> I I disagree. I think like, and I think sometimes it's very obvious where someone's saying there's like you can tell when a celebrity's trying to like make a point and they're going yes, mama, and they're trying to like become a meme. Yeah, like. It's very blatant when someone's trying to do that. And I think that is also for like the general public as well. And I think like the best memes and the best of these things have spawned from like a natural want to just kind of like label ourselves and label our communities and like have a little caption or a title for things. And I'm not necessarily convinced that that needs to do that comes from a place of capitalism and marketing. I think that's Mm. like a natural human instinct. I think it is a natural human instinct, but I think the problem is, is that like people don't learn. Like I really see history repeating itself here with like the female gaze of eight to 10 years ago to the girlhood of exactly right now. Like we are, we are obsessed with like packaging ourselves into these like neatly understandable, identifiable things, which is not a problem in and of itself. But the problem comes when we do that, like very publicly, like we think on the internet still, we're just talking to our like eight to 10 or 800 to 1000 or 80,000 to 200,000 friends when really like people are watching us and like people are watching what we do on the internet to then market it. And then then people will complain like, oh, it became commodified really quickly. And it's like, well, 
you did kind of make it like that impossible not to be. We're not exactly talking about something that's really unfathomable to people. Like I would say that this is even like less visually robust than 10 years ago, or maybe just the same, but it's like, this is so easily replicable. And something that I thought really interesting was again, Ryan saying this, and then I read the article on the Botox. It's like, I think the cut did a analysis where they found things with bows on are five times more expensive than things with not. So like, we're already seeing the real life implications of like the girlhood trend of slapping a bow on it, which is so funny because it's something that's like really easily be easily something you can do yourself as well. But we're already mm-hmm. seeing like, oh, the 50 pound t-shirt getting turned into a 200 pound t-shirt. I think there was one where it was like a Mew Mew plain t-shirt is $250. There's one bow in the middle of it and it's $950. So like, even though the people that create these trends may not have like capitalism and um, profitability in mind, there's constantly, like we're constantly being watched. Like we literally do live in a surveillance society of which our interests are going to be commodified. Yeah, I think that's more, that's the algorithm, isn't it? Like if, the algorithms like uh what's the name of the robot in like 2001 a space odyssey like that's become our surveillance state has just been titled the algorithm and like Mm -hmm. if someone's responding well to your content then it's automatically picked up by the algorithm and then turned into marketing purposes so i do agree with you on that i think like whenever you see like a funny i don't know if this happens to you but if you see like a funny tweet or like um, like a meme on Twitter like sometimes you'll get like a bot underneath that sounds like a t-shirt with it all mm-hmm. like it's so like such a quick turnaround now whereas I think it took like a bit longer during the Tumblr days for brands to catch on because they what they had to kind of have these research teams but like looking at what people were reacting to and what people wanted from from the advertising or what they wanted from their product and now that's just that time just been cut to minimalizing minimalized because of the algorithm and like AI mm-hmm. But then I also don't think that that means that we can't like it, though. And it, I don't think it means that we can st- we have to stop buying into it to like be like, fuck the patriarchy, fuck capitalism. I'm going to have the worst of everything. I'm going to go back to having the plain version of something just because it's cheaper. I think it's like what you touched on there. Like we just have to be more aware and more willing to DIY this, the stuff that we want rather than like buy into the capitalist version of what they think we want based off like our enjoyment of trends like this yeah I think we're criticizing it for the wrong reason and I also think just like fundamentally the connection that people are making between like out and out feminism and social politics and this like desire to communicate girlhood is like those two things don't necessarily go together. Like they have touch points together, but the people that are talking about girlhood aren't directly trying to communicate like feminist thoughts or actions. Does that make sense? No, yeah, and I agree. And I think the people talking on girlhood and feminism aren't necessarily trying to be commodified. And just because something, I think the point, my point is that just because something has been commodified doesn't like mean that we can't enjoy it for what it is anyway. Yeah, but I think if you're clever enough to like wear a bow in like a, all-knowing way about what that it symbolizes like maybe some things that are bad but also some things that are joyful then you should be self-aware enough to know that that's a very easily commodifiable object and to not play into it the all-knowing bow (laughs) Like, I just don't think it's good enough to be, like, in the let people enjoy things crew anymore. It's not good enough. No. Mm. 
like if we're if we're meeting these like naysayers with oh we're intellectually robust um like emotionally aware and we understand what we're doing then we can't be like oh but we don't want to be commodified sorry (laughs) 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 we didn't mean it (laughs) i think we're we're at the point now where there's nothing that can't be commodified because it's such a fast turnaround make yourself weird enough that you can't be commodified (laughs) also i feel like something that every thing like the commodifiable version of something will never be the actual one but i also think that we're in a very different place as we were like eight to ten years ago in which yeah we can see things like i'm sure on tiktok there can be like a really interesting essay about girlhood and then the next tiktok you'll be met with tiktok shop do you know what i mean like it is so much closer to each other and so much quicker and like one doesn't cancel out the other necessarily but I think like self-awareness is key yeah but are you saying that the majority of people aren't self-aware when they are interacting with girlhood then no I'm saying people could do with being like I'm saying that I think the discourse surrounding it like whether it's feeding into the patriarchy or not is kind of redundant and instead we should be thinking about like how our consumer practices but also like how we talk to each other on the internet like the internet's just not a safe space feed into like things that we don't necessarily morally or politically align with yeah agreed (laughs) (laughs) and I also just think that like we're seeing a lot of stuff where people think they have like I don't know it's just really interesting to see I suppose like so I put like a couple of like silly fun gossipy things in the end of the research and the one that really got me was like the Zara Larson versus Hannah Diamond controversy. Did you know about this before I put it in the research, G? No, I hadn't even heard of it. <laughs> so Hannah Diamond, um, I'm sure lots of people who listen know, is an original like PC music girly. She's been around forever, not forever, but you know, since like 2010. Um, definitely pioneered like some of the PC music aesthetic because she, as well as being a musician, she's a photographer, did like a lot of the original visuals for PC music. Um, I'm pretty sure she did like the Hey Cutie ones and like some early Sophie ones. Anyway, so she has a new album out. I can't remember what it's called, but it's, uh, is it called Poster Girl? Ooh. I think it's called Poster Girl. And it's literally just a picture of her in a bedroom. And then Zara Larson came in and was like, you've copied me because it's also a picture of a girl in her bedroom and they like went out went at it for a bit the fans went wild um and then Hannah Diamond defended herself like basically being like well I pioneered this aesthetic and then Zara Larson was like well I think the girlhood bedroom experience is a beautiful and universal thing like didn't we all just dream about being pop stars in our bedrooms as a kid but it's like okay fine but why did you come at Hannah Diamond with this venom then Probably for fucking PR purposes, isn't it? <laughs> what, you think it's all fake? Yeah, if we're going to be captain cynical about everything. <laughs> Zara Larson waded into the Hannah Diamond fandom to just stir up a bit of attention back to her album. But I think, yeah, we're all just copying each other. Yeah, exactly. And I think, well, also, yeah, I think a way of getting out of this, like, easily commodified, because another thing that Zara Larson said, which was really interesting, is like, oh, I didn't know you anyway. Now I've done my research. I can see that though I didn't have you on my mood board, the photographers that I've looked up to and had on it most likely surely did. That's what I was about at the end of the day. I wish you your best with the album. It's like, we can kind of worm our way out of like, A, criticism for liking these things and B, 
like this weird cyclical thing of thinking we've all copied each other by being informed about it. Yeah, and also just seeing it as more of a community thing than like a fucking copycat thing. Like there's this, it's so childish to be like, well, I like that first. and I did that first. So I'm the only one who's allowed to write, okay. It's like at the end of the day, we were all just teen girls in our bedroom. We're all girls together. We were girls together. (laughs) (laughs) But we were. I agree. We were. And we are. And we have. We will always be. And with that, I bid you adieu. Ta ra. Alright. See you next week, listeners. Thank you, Olivia, for editing. Bye bye. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert's, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.